Hey Mariners fans, welcome to the third edition of the Soto Mojo Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Adam Levy. I'm here with Colby Patnode and uh, Riley Baker, both contributors for Soto Mojo. How you doing, guys? Doing well. Good. So, it seems like there's been one theme during this past week of baseball, and it ties directly into our stat of the week, which happens to be stolen bases. So, as you guys have noticed... Mariners are stealing bases like they haven't uh, in recent spring training history. Uh, today, with their stolen base, they have 22, which ties them with the Los Angeles Angels, who they were demolished by today uh, in spring training ball. Uh, but they now have as many steals as they did in many years in the last decade. And on top of that, we've heard so much from Jerry Depoto, Scott Service, and the rest of the Mariners organization that they want to be aggressive on the base pads. And they've also attempted three double steals. So what does this tell you guys, you know, are they just fulfilling their promise or are we seeing more out of this, uh, this team on the base pads than maybe we expected? Um, I think a part of it is, is uh, spring training. You want to see what your guys have. And there was a few years ago where Lloyd McClendon just pretty much, let the guys run whenever they wanted. But this is a little different because the guys who are running are actually good at it. Um, and, you know, what's crazy about this is, is that we haven't even seen Segura for most of the spring training games. So um, it's a good sign. Um, it's what they promised. Um, this is one of those things that you can actually take away from spring training is that it does look like the Mariners are going to be really aggressive on the bases. And that's good because uh, that's what their strength is. Yeah, it's certainly been a good change. Um, I think it was Saturday they had six steals, which was crazy. Um, Dyson had a couple. It's certainly different to see all that speed in the lineup, and hopefully it can get more guys in the scoring position, which then will turn into runs. Yeah, and in that in that um, six-steal game, they had three steals just in the fourth inning alone. I think that they, had, uh, they stole a base in three out of four pitches. So they were really aggressive in that inning, and we saw uh, Hanager have uh, showcase his speed too, which is nice. You know, we always talk about him at the plate or in the outfield, but it's good to see you know him show off his legs. But uh, there's one player that you know obviously has really stood out, and that's uh, Ian Miller. So he's obviously he's been the key pinch runner, and he's got four stolen bases, even though he's uh, got one at bat. So he's been um, he's been significant to me, especially this week. And when I look at him run, I, I think immediately of the 2004 AL uh, was it the ALCS between the Yankees and the Red Sox. You know, when Dave Roberts comes in and, and steals second uh, to give the Red Sox that uh, that tying run in the bottom of the ninth to give the Red Sox a chance in Game Five. I see that Miller can be that type of guy, you know, when the rosters can be expanded uh, come September. So is there anyone else, or do you guys just equally impressed by Miller, or is there anyone else that you guys um, are really happy to, to see performing well this week? Uh, Miller's interesting. Last season in A Jackson, he stole, I think it was 49 bases, and he was only caught four times. Um, the hit tool's not really there, um, not yet. He did have a 330 on base, I think, in double A, 
which if he can replicate in the majors with his base stealing ability, that's a really valuable guy. Um, I'm not sure if he can, but yeah, it's nice to see. Um, that's a guy you can call up in September and you have, you know, essentially what Gerard Dyson was three years ago, a really good base runner. So that is interesting to see. I want to uh, watch him a little bit in the minors this year. I think he probably goes back to double A, but he could be in triple A. Um, in terms of other guys that I've been impressed with, uh, Taylor Motter, who's fighting for that utility spot. I've really liked his week. Um, he's hitting pretty well and he's running the base as well, which is really nice. So uh, that's, that competition between O'Malley and Motter is really starting to heat up. And I kind of really... And that hair. The hair, too, right? The hair flip after ceiling second is hard to ignore. So, uh, yeah, actually, I really like what Motter's been doing this week. What about you, Riley? Yeah, um, pretty much the same guys. Miller, you nailed it, Adam. Um, that comparison with Dave Roberts, I like it. Um, he could definitely come up late and be that guy to pinch run in situations where we need to, to get a runner from first to second with, you know, one out. Um, and then Motter, we've seen his hair. We like it. Flows in the wind with that speed. Um, but yeah, just, it's, it's cool to see all this speed on the base paths. It's way different than what we've seen in the past, and it's exciting. And when we when we see the Mariners, you know their full lineup. Obviously, now you got a bunch of players in the WBC. But you know when you see the power guys that are going to come up after Segura and uh, and Dyson, you know we're going to really see how that speed can translate into more runs. Hopefully, so that'll be really key to see early on. Yeah, and don't forget you have Leonis Martin hitting ninth. He also has 30 stolen base ability, so when the lineup wraps around, you could have Martin, uh, Dyson, and Segura, who can all steal 30 bases coming up before you get to uh, Cano, Cruz, and Seager. So don't forget about uh, Martin down there at the bottom of the order. Right. You know, it was interesting because I, uh, I tweeted at uh, Taylor Motter about his, um, about his hair when he, when he steals a base, and I said, should we expect this every time he steals a base? And he liked it. So I guess uh, he's uh, signing on to do it all the time. Works for me. It's an endorsement. It is a definite endorsement. We've had a couple from Mitch Hanniger as well. So we're getting a lot of the young guys um, to to kind of get involved, which is nice. So nice. now that the WBC is is going, uh, I know, uh, Colby, you have your uh, trepidations about it. But uh, now that we've seen a couple of highlights, seen a couple of the games. Is there anything that's standing out in the WBC for you guys? Uh, it's awesome this year. <laughs> um, it's really cool to see. Um, I've been really impressed. I've actually gotten to watch a few games. Uh, we've been lucky. MLB has put these games, a lot of them, on their YouTube channel, so I've been able to go back and watch what I've missed. Uh you know, there have been some epic games, including the one last night. You have to love what Israel's doing. Um, you know, the epic, like I said, the epic matchup last night between the United States and the Dominican. That was awesome to watch. So, uh, yeah, so if the, every WBC was like this, I would watch a lot more games. For sure. It's super exciting. Yeah, with Cruz's bomb last night and then what he said about the Mariners being, you know, they, I think the reporter asked him after the game if there's a team that's better than the Dominican Republic in the world right now, and he said maybe the Mariners. So that was definitely cool to see. And then today the Dominican Republic beat Colombia 10-3. to 
and Segura actually got his first start at short, and he went three for six with three RBIs and I think a double, two doubles actually. Any so, solo base? Yeah, a lot of. Yeah, just a lot of, a lot of contribution from some Mariners players. Good to see. Yeah, and it's good to see that Segura, you know, in in this WBC start, but also in the uh, in early spring training, he seems really locked in. It seems like, you know, we may be glossing over him, maybe because there's an expectation that he'll he'll play very well, but he's uh he's got a bunch of doubles and uh he's really I think looking uh like he could have another two hundred hit season. Obviously the pitching quality is not the same, but you know, one thing about the WBC that I really like and you know, especially with Nelly's home run was that you see how much these guys love the game. I mean, it's really, it's so different than uh, a regular season game or even a playoff game. It's like watching uh, young kids who are in the Little League, right? And they, they all gather around the plate when it's a home run. And it's just like a different feel. It humanizes these players who are like heroes to so many people and also multi-millionaires who kind of have a different lifestyle. But they, they seem so average and... It's just, it's a lot of fun, you know. I think Colby said it best that it's just like, it's awesome this year. It's, um, there's a vibe around the game that's, um, you know, I think really great for the tournament, you know, come four years now, they really have a lot to build on uh, for, for the next tournament uh, in 2021. Yeah, the atmosphere kind of reminds me a lot of the uh, College World Series which uh, I love. You see a lot of people getting, ex- a lot of the teammates are getting pumped up. They're doing all the weird things. I love watching baseball like that. Uh, that's how baseball is supposed to be played. It's supposed to be played with fun and love in your heart and all that good stuff. And these guys, they're playing for more than just, you know, the name on the back of their jersey. They're playing for the front. And it's just, it's really, really cool to see, uh, you know, these professional athletes care about games that really in the grand scheme of things are meaningless. So um, you know, it, it's awesome. And do you guys think that with all the positivity surrounding this year's Mariners club, that maybe we'll get a little bit more of this excitement uh, in the regular season? I hope so. Yeah, at this point, you just hope the momentum carries over, especially from those core guys with the Dominican Republic into the regular season. So also just heading back to a spring training for just a moment, so another player that's obviously been playing well is Mike Zanino, who's, you know, uh, been he's been on a little bit of a hot streak. And I know that, Riley, you uh, you wrote a piece about it. So what is it about Zanino that's really uh, that's really caught your eye? Yeah, well, you know, past years, he's kind of he's done well in AAA, come up to the majors, been hot for a little bit and then kind of gone back to, you know, hitting around 200. Um, but his defense has always been there, and the way he handles the pitching staff has always been there. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's good to see him uh, to be on a little bit of a streak. My only worry is that um, you guys watch How I Met Your Mother. Yes. So you know uh, the episode about uh, being on the hook. Ah, yes, good I episode. Fe- I feel like that's how it is with Zanino. I feel like. You know, it's always like he teases us so much and it's like someday I'll be the, the catcher you want me to be offensively, you know. And then he gives us like a streak of five games where he'll bash a bunch of home runs, hit a bunch of doubles, and then he'll just 
go back to hitting 200. Uh, and he just, he's just never put it all together in one season. Obviously this year, there's been a lot of press and a lot of talk about him finally putting it all together. But I think that there's some warranted skepticism about what he'll actually be able to do. So, uh, even though it's exciting to see a little bit of um, this offensive power, it's um, I'm a little trepidatious about, you know, wanting to say, okay, he's really got it. Yeah. I don't think he has to be, um, you know, I think people need to stop looking at the the batting average so much. Uh, look at the OPS last year. He had a, I believe it was 787 OPS that's on base plus slugging that put him top five among catchers. So, you know he's going to hit for power. You know he's going to handle the pitching sack. He's going to throw the ball well, and he's going to block well, and he's going to frame well. So if he can hit home runs and also uh, take a few more walks than he does, then he's going to be just fine. Strikeouts are always going to be a part of his game, but you just hope that he can learn to take a few more walks and uh, really keep that on-base percentage at around 310, 320, and he'll be just fine. What have you guys thought about um, King Felix's uh, his start during the WBC? Do you think that he's um, he's still got some work to do? That he's a little shaky, or where do you think he's at right now? Um, I I saw his uh, first start with the uh, or his first televised start with the Mariners uh, against Oakland, and he looked okay there. And then I rewatched his start in the WBC, and I mean he. He kind of looks like yesterday, like uh, last year, Felix, a little bit. Um, the fastball's up a little bit. The breaking stuff's still really good, so that's really cool to see. But, uh, you know, the command's not great yet. Uh, you know, it, I'm not seeing anything that's making me more excited, but I'm also not seeing anything that's making me, you know, pessimistic that Felix can bounce back. So it's just kind of... It's like a like in a great sense. It's like a C plus from what I've seen so far. Yeah, I'm confident he can bounce back. I mean, it's Felix. He he's got a chip on his shoulder this year after having a down year last. I think he's to prove some people wrong. So I think that's exciting, and he'll certainly use that um, in his advantage. And another pitcher who also had a rough outing, um, actually pretty. You could say it was worse than what Felix went uh, went out and did was uh Giovanni Gallardo. He was uh he had five strikeouts over four innings, which was great to see, but to give up three home runs is uh never a good sign. Uh so you know, I think that uh he's he's obviously still working on his craft and, you know, trying to adjust, but it's uh it'd be better if he was giving up less home runs, obviously. What do you guys think about his game so far? I'm not too worried about Gallardo simply because if he's bad, he's the easiest guy to replace um, in terms of his actual performance so far. Uh, I have actually haven't gotten to watch any of his starts. Um, I've just read the stat line. Uh, looks like he has two bad starts and then one pretty good one uh, for, for the Mariners. It was the one good one. Um, you know, I, I unfortunately I haven't been able to watch him, so I can't really comment on his stuff or anything. But it does kind of seem like the command's still a little off. But, uh, you know, I just want to see Gallardo stay healthy and go into the season with him as our number five starter. So uh, that's about all I have on him. Yeah, I'm right there with you, Colby. I haven't been able to watch him either. Just look at the stats. Um, but like you said, I'm not too worried about him either. You know, 
he is kind of a dispensable starter in terms of like that he can be replaced. Not that we want him to fail, of course, but he is a guy that we could replace with um, starting pitching depth we have in the organization. So we've talked about speed. We've talked about the outfield. Uh, we talked about the pitching. Um, so this brings us to uh, a new segment that we're going to do just for the next four weeks about doing a, a breakdown of each segment of the field, whether it's the pitching, the infield, the outfield, the bullpen. And we're going to start in the outfield. So obviously the Mariners have made a lot of adjustments in the outfield in getting rid of Seth Smith bringing in Mitch Hanniger, bringing in Gerard Dyson, keeping Leonis Martin, and then we've got young guys like Ben Gamble, Guillermo Heredia. So who do you guys feel is going to be the standout outfielder, and what do you think that each of these guys can bring? Do you think that there's upgrades, downgrades? What are you guys thoughts on the outfield? Uh, defense got significantly better in the outfield, which is always good. Um, you know, Dyson... Uh, just going left and right real quick. Dyson is kind of a platoon guy. He hasn't really ever hit lefties. Um, but, you know, if he gets 60%, 70% of the at-bats, uh, that's fine. Uh, he's a really good defender, can play all three positions, probably going to steal 40 bags this year, give or take. Um, that's exciting. And then you pair him with somebody like Guillermo Heredia, um, who can hit lefties, uh, who's having a nice spring. So I kind of expect a platoon in left field. Leonis Martin has the best outfield arm in baseball, um, according to Fangraphs, over the last three seasons. Um, I think his defense is going to be better. Not that it was bad last year, but you guys remember he battled that hamstring injury from, was it June until pretty much the end of July? He just couldn't really go full speed. And I think that hampered his defense, and he was still a really solid defensive center fielder. So I think he takes a step forward uh, defensively, offensively. I think 2020 is a possibility for him. He's got power, which is uh, nice to see. And obviously he can run. He sold 20 last year. Um, and so I'm, I feel just fine about Leonis Martin. And uh, Hanniger is kind of the wild card. I really like Hanniger. Uh, the Seattle Mariners seem to really like Hanniger. Uh, we've seen some power from him. We've seen some speed. We've seen defense. Um, you know, he's a baseball rat is what they call him. He, uh, he loves the game and he loves to improve. But that's kind of the that's kind of where my question mark is is can he do it at the big league level, and uh, I certainly hope he can. I know the Mariners hope he can hopes he can, but uh, you know if you're going into the into the 2017 season with uh, some kind of platoon of Dyson and Heredia in left, and then you have Leonis Martin in center and Hanniger in right, that's an upgrade over what they had last year. Yeah, for sure. Martin's really the anchor, or Martin, sorry, is really the anchor in center field. He can cover it all up until, you know, what Dyson and uh, Hanniger can do out in the corners. Um, Dyson's a far better improvement in left field defensively than Aoki was, and Hanniger, I think, will be an improvement over what Seth Smith was. So defensively, I think we're good, and we have exactly what Depoto wanted to do with the outfield and making it more speedy and athletic. Um, as far as Hanniger goes, I wrote an article about him yesterday. Um, I'm really impressed with Hanniger. I know you had a little bit of skepticism, Colby, but I'm really I'm sold on Hanniger. He went three for four yesterday with a double, a couple RBIs, even had a stolen base, so he's got speed. This spring he's hitting over 400. He only has four strikeouts. I don't know. I, I'm I'm excited about this guy. 
I think he's a five-tool player in the making, and he could be eventually like a perennial all-star. Yeah, I I wasn't I don't want to say I was uh, skeptical. And Han- I, what I didn't like about Haniger is, is that people were talking about him like he was the big key in the Gene Segura trade, and maybe he will be. That's a lot of pressure to put on a guy who has like 140 major league at bats. I'm right there with you on his skill set. I think it's undervalued. Um, you know, there are some people who think he could actually play center field. And if you look at the metrics from last year, he was the second best outfielder in September uh, defensively. So I'm right there with you on the power and the speed. Uh, this kind of feels like uh, my, uh, Mitch Haniger could be the Seattle Mariners. Cole Calhoun is kind of that solid... Uh, you know, underrated player who's really good, probably should be an all-star almost every year, but probably isn't going to be. But, uh, yeah, I'm right there with you. I really like his skill set, and it's really, really exciting to see him uh, perform well in spring. So um, I'm hope, I hope you're right. I just don't want to put too much uh, expectation on a 26-year-old rookie who only has 150 at-bats. So I'm right. going to – well, no, go ahead, Ryan. Sorry, can I say one more thing? Yeah, just yeah, go ahead. another thing about him is he's 26. He's pretty much the same age as Gene Segura. So mm-hmm. I think he's fully developed from the minor leagues. He didn't come up too early like other players, like people think Mike Zanino did. So I think he's fully developed and ready to blossom into a major league star. So I was just going to kind of flip the question on you, Colby. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they talk about him being the, the key piece in the Segura trade. Do you think that maybe that instead of putting pressure on him, that maybe it motivates him to want to stand out? Because obviously the highlights and all the headlines were saying Mariners get Segura and everyone kind of glossed over Hanager. So do you think that he's he's got something to prove this year as a as an equally valuable or more valuable piece? Uh, sure, uh, that could definitely be the case. I don't know him personally. I don't know what his you know you can't walk inside a guy's head and understand how he deals with pressure. But uh, you know it, you can't listen to any any interview with a Seattle Mariner right now, whether it be general manager, manager, players, coaches. They always mention Haniger right away. So uh, that's a, that's a great sign to me because it shows that he's he's there he's handling the pressure just fine, and uh, you know he doesn't have to be anything but what he is, and he'll still be an upgrade over Seth Smith just based on defense and base running. On that alone, he'll be an upgrade. So um, it certainly seems like he's handling that pressure just fine. And again, I really hope he does because I really like Mitch Haniger as a player, but uh, you know. He could very well be that type of guy who says, give me all the pressure in the world and I'm going to prove you wrong. And I hope he is because, you know, the Seattle Mariners could use a young player like that. And if you you ever do get to to know him personally, please invite him on the show. That would be really great. So moving along here, um, you know, we're talking about the starting guys in the outfield. But, you know, there's obviously been uh, this talk about, you know, you got to fill all the spots on the roster for opening day. And last year we got a little taste of seeing Guillermo Heredia and Ben Gamble. So there's obviously that battle going on. But who who else do you think, uh, as, as, as for backups, who do you think is going to, is stepping up? Obviously Heredia is having a spring that he'll probably remember the rest of his life. And, um, you know, Gamble is kind of picking it up, but he's still having a slow start. But do you think that either of them are going to do something special this year? 
Or do you think that one of them doesn't make the roster, one of them gets a late call-up? How do you think that's going to play out, Colby? Um, Initially, before spring training, I thought that both Gamble and Heredia were going to make the team, and it would be at the expense of Daniel Vogelback. Um, Now, I kind of think that Gamble, unless he picks up uh, significantly, he's going to head back down to AAA. Um, You know, I like Gamble. Uh, I've kind of always been higher on him than most. Uh, maybe it's the hair, but uh, it's a he's a good player with good speed. He can play all three out all three positions, but he's just not performing right now. And I think the team still likes the idea that they can always put Danny Valencia or Nelson Cruz in the outfield for two or three games and survive. Um, so I I just I don't think that Gamble right now is going to make this team uh, in terms of Heredia. I think the most you can hope for is that he is a solid platoon player who can come into the game late. Um, and one of those games where you are starting Nelson Cruz in right field, you can just go to the bench and put Heredia out there, or he can come in and steal a bag for you. Or when you're facing somebody like, I don't know, Chris Sale, and you know Dyson doesn't have a chance, then Heredia will go out there and give you solid at-bats. So I expect Heredia to be the guy who, uh, who kind of, uh, he, he'll win the fourth outfield job. Yeah, it's really Heredia's spot to lose at this point. I think I think Gamble will be the guy to kind of come up uh, later in the season as a September call-up. Um, but yeah, like you said earlier, Colby, uh, the platoon and left with Dyson and uh, Heredia could be a really dynamic one um, just with the lefty-righty splits between them and the speed, the athleticism. Yeah, I think it's just I think it's Heredia's job to lose. One name to keep an eye on real fast, though, here. Uh, Boog Powell has had a really nice summer, or a really nice spring. Um, you know, he's going to start the year in AAA, but if he continues on this little tear he's on and proves that he's over his suspension and stuff like that, he could be the next guy up over Gamble. So just keep an eye out on Boog Powell. That's right. People do kind of overlook him just because of that suspension, I think. So I haven't really been following him too closely, but now that you mention it, he has been having a pretty good spring, and so um, he he has. But how many how many games does he have left on his suspension? Do you guys know? I believe it's five. Oh, so it, okay, so he'll be up soon uh, if if he gets that call. So um, you know they they were just uh, I remember, who was it? I think it was Ryan Dibish of the Seattle Times who wrote a piece, and you know uh, obviously Powell feels he's. Uh, He's been wronged by these positive tests, but, you know, he said, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to not appeal anything. I'm just going to serve my suspension and do it. So, you know, you, you see a, a commitment to just, you know, following the structure and what he has to do in order to, you know, make, make the big leagues if he wants to do that without any, without any other outside uh, trouble. So that's also good to see. And then we also have, you know, because DePoto just can't stop himself. He makes another trade today for another outfielder, a right fielder, Joey Carletta, who, um, if you guys haven't seen, you know, from from the little bit that I've seen from him, he's got a, a solid arm. He's a big dude, plays right. So uh, do you guys have any uh, feelings on, obviously he'll, he'll be in the minors, but do you think that he has potential, big league potential? I don't know much about him. Um, I pretty much read the same stuff you did. He's a bigger guy. He's got some projectability. 
Uh, he has some raw power, but, uh, you know, I, my, having never watched him, I'm relying completely on numbers. Uh, mm-hmm. Doesn't walk a lot, seems to strike out a lot. Um, not a great base runner, although he is, he's faster. He's a, he's more fast than he is a good base runner. Does that make sense? Um, right. You know, he's repeated uh, high A ball twice, and he's never really put up great numbers there. And that's a hitter's paradise. Um, it's just organizational depth to me, which is fine. Uh, it's good to have. And, you know, you never know. You guys can look at the – Brocious or Edgar can look at that swing and say, I got something I can work with here. We can tweak this one little thing. And then all of a sudden he's, you know, in AAA tearing it up and he's getting a call up to the big leagues. So um, it's it's a good trade. You have some depth built up in your bullpen. You need some more uh, you need some more depth in your minor league system with bats. So go get a high upside guy. Right. I don't know too much about him either, but I looked into him after um, you know hearing about the trade today. And ironically, uh, he actually went to Philadelphia from Los Angeles in the Carlos Ruiz trade. Who, as we know, <laughs> Depoto also traded for him in this past offseason. Um, but yeah, as far as his skill set goes, um, he's kind of a work in progress. Like you said, strikes out a lot, doesn't walk. Uh, very often um, from what I read kind of sounds like he just has a long swing and he likes to try and lift everything um, but yeah strong arm um, he had 12 outfield assists in 83 games last year which is quite a bit um, but yeah hopefully he can develop with the minor league development team we have and then just um, for Pat Vendetti I think I think it's a steal because Vendetti is he kind of just was what he was. He had really no upside, in my opinion, besides what we saw. He's 31. He's aging. It's cool that he was a switch pitcher, but that was kind of that was kind of it for me. Yeah, it was one of those things that when you when you saw him switch the glove for like the first two times, it was like kind of cool. You chuckled a little bit, and then at some point, you're just like, okay, what are you gonna do for me on the field? But um. I think that yeah, point I think, came when uh, I think that point came when Nate Priman was taking him deep three times in a week. <laughs> I think that was the point you said, okay, let's uh, let's see what else we have. And Colby, well, both of you guys really mentioned the strikeouts. I mean, for for Coletta though, when you see those numbers, I think it's like 115 strikeouts for like 37 walks. I mean, that is that is a little hard to swallow. Yeah. I, I do kind of wonder as we sit here and kind of talk about him, uh, he does kind of sound like a very young Tyler O'Neill, which is weird because Tyler O'Neill is younger, but Tyler O'Neill's growth the last, uh, the last two or three years where he went from just going for the fences, swinging as hard as he can and hoping to, you know, make the big leagues as a 40 home run guy who hits 210. Um, to what he is now, which is an all-around great hitter with uh, really good power. I'm wondering if maybe DePoto sees that as a possibility, but to a much lesser extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if he looked at him before, saw some scouting reports, and talked to, you know, Edgar and the other hitting hitting coach staff, and you know, kind of asked them if they saw anything that they could fix. And hopefully, they said yes, and that's why they picked him up. So. You know, going over the outfield, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things. You know, the versatility, uh, the platoon and left, obviously the power, the speed, all these things. So if there's one word 
that you guys could come up with that really epitomizes what this outfield is to the Seattle Mariners this year, what would it be? Fast. Yeah, I went along with that. I said impenetrable. Ooh, I don't I think like there's going to be too many fly balls dropping that aren't catchable. Well, it's a great Scrabble word, too. going to get a lot of points <laughs> with that. So, now that we've gone over the outfield breakdown, we're going to go on to uh, our now normal segment of our People's Voice, our questions from the social media blogosphere. So we've got a couple, another from uh, Dan Clark. So he was asking, why don't uh, American players uh, get behind the WBC like maybe uh, players from other countries do? What are your guys' thoughts on that? Um, it's tough to know. Um, it is, it is a, uh, it's tough to swallow, too, when you know that Mike Trout and Bryce Harper aren't playing in this thing. But, uh, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with – uh, you know, the players, the players from Latin America who grow up, baseball is the reason that they made it. Um, and you listen to all the Latin players, they always talk about when they make it to the big leagues, they always want to make sure they get back to their country because they know just how hard it is to uh, carve out a life for yourself there. So I think there's more pride with the Latin players, with the, uh, the Asian players, uh, particularly Japan. That's, that's a baseball crazy culture. They love it. It's what they do. Uh, there's no National Football League there. There's no basketball. It's really just baseball and soccer in Japan. Uh, in America, the players, I think they can, I think they won a World Series more than they won a WBC title. Um, I, I don't think they're selfish. I think that they just have different priorities. They have less to prove. They think they have less to prove uh, than these, than these uh, players, particularly from the Latin countries who come from poor backgrounds, who have baseball to thank for everything they ever got, and uh, and they want to give something back to the people of their country. So I think it's a little more about that than it is about, you know, American players being lazy or not having pride in their country or anything like that. So that's the only reason I can really come up with. That might be crazy. I don't know. What do you guys think? I agree. I think other nationalities, this is really their chance to represent their countries. You know, baseball is America's pastime, so they don't really have to represent the country on the front of their jerseys because playing in the major leagues already kind of does that, mm -hmm. despite, you know, the high percentage of, um, you know, um, other cultures in the game. But, yeah, I don't know. It's not as big of a deal for the American players, I feel like, what, like what you were saying. But then for the guys like Cano Cruz, just examples on the Mariners, they have that motivation to represent their country and where they came from. Yeah, I think that uh, there's definitely that uh, pride of country that's just a different um, different feel. And we, we even saw this during the, um, during the Winter League Ball. I mean, Cano went to play a couple games in the DR uh, just so he could play uh, back in his hometown in front of the home fans that he, he grew up knowing. And then also King Felix went to Venezuela and he uh, he pitched there uh, during the Winter League as well. That was also partly because he's trying to prove something this year. Uh, obviously, it's not off a bad 2016. But, you know, when you see guys like putting that extra commitment into it, it's uh, there's definitely something that they feel. Um, you know, I don't know. I can't put a finger on what it is exactly. 
Um, could be, uh, could be. I think what Colby said about maybe wanting to just win the championship. I mean, you see that sometimes with Iwakuma. You know, obviously he bailed out because he has one focus on mind, and that's the team that uh, that has signed him and paid him millions of dollars. And maybe, maybe, um, maybe the U.S. players have a different sense of uh, kind of place when they're when they're being paid by this franchise. But I mean, I think it's a great question, and only only really you can we can know if we ask them. So. But uh, going on to the next question that we've got. So this was um, from Facebook. And if you don't know, we are back up on Facebook at Sotomojo FS. So search us on Facebook and also the Twitter at Sotomojo FS. You can follow us there as well. But this is from Maria Berrios. And she says, do you know if DePoto has a plan for catcher if Zanino falters? There are no promising. There's no one promising in the minors, and Ruiz is great for this year. Maybe a backup again next year, but that's it. Would you cons- Would they consider going after Luke Roy, Jonathan Luke Roy, even if they have to go five or six years, or is there someone else? Uh, well, first part is uh, yes. Jerry Depoto has a backup plan. He has a backup plan to his backup plan. <laughs> Jerry Depoto uh, is going to have a plan, and Mike Zanino falters. I don't think it's going to come from inside the organization, uh, like she said. Really, the next guy, if he falters, Ruiz probably becomes a starter. And then you're asking Tuffy Gosowich to be the backup, which, I mean, is fine for a year. Uh, the best catcher they have in their system right now, or their closest catcher, is Tyler Marlett, who has some upside, but he still has a lot to prove. Um, so, yeah, for this year, it would be Ruiz and Gosowich. And uh, I just... Honestly, I don't think it matters how much Zanino struggles. He's going to be in the big leagues the entire season because his defense is so valuable that you'll take whatever you can get defense or whatever you can get offensively. Um, and if he doesn't perform like they want him to this year, then yeah, they probably will move on. Uh, as for Jonathan Lucroy, I just I don't see it. Um, you know, Depoto doesn't really like to go out and spend in free agency. Um, particularly for a 30-something-year-old catcher. I just don't see him going down that route, especially at five or six years. Um, you know, more than likely, it'll be the trade route, and it'll be some, you know, some 27-year-old catcher, backup catcher, um, who's just kind of, you know, average at the plate and maybe above average defensively. Um, so no to Lucroy. Yes, they have a backup plan. But I think Zanino is going to be up all year, no matter what. I agree with you, Colby. I'm right there. I don't think he's going to go after Luke Roy, but it's safe to say Jerry Depoto has a backup plan because he's a smart dude. Um, he loves to trade, so I agree with you that he'd go the trade route to get another catcher. And yeah, I really, I think Mike Zanino will be up the whole year. I think I don't think he will falter. I think he'll hit like around 220 this year, 210. Um, you know, hit a few home runs, but then he's a defensive catcher, so it's not it's not the end of the world if he, you know, hits around 200. As long as he can handle the organization, block pitches, frame pitches like he's been good at, I think that's all we can ask for, especially with the other pieces we have in the lineup. Yeah, if, if you're looking for a name in particular for this year, uh, if Zanino maybe gets hurt or something and DePoto wants to go out and add some veteran depth, uh, a guy like Ryan Hannigan, 
looks like he might not make the team in Philadelphia, but he's uh, he has some upside in his bat. He's a veteran, and he's a pretty good pitch framer, if I recall. So that's kind of the route I would see them going this year. As for next year, I don't have the list of free agents in front of me, but I just I don't think it matters because I don't think Depoto is going to sign, you know, a big free agent bat, uh, particularly a catcher. So, um, you know, like there is no depth in the organization, not really, but it's not you're not going to improve your depth if you go and give away a first round pit or. I guess now it's a second and a fourth or something like that by going and signing one of these qualifying offer guys at catcher. Um, so no, if you want a bigger name that maybe excites you a little bit more, maybe, maybe, maybe if Toronto struggles, you might be able to get Russell Martin, but uh, I doubt it. So, I mean, unfortunately there's just not a whole lot of options that we can discuss right now. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that Toronto lineup does now with uh, out and Edwin Encarnacion. So you know they they've kind of got some uh, some big changes in their offense. But there was one often there was one move this off season that I think really uh, I feel was a miss for Depoto, and maybe it's because you know my my dad's from Baltimore. Some of my first baseball games were in Baltimore, but. Uh, I've loved Matt Weeders since he came up mm-hmm. and uh, seeing him play in person and just on the TV and he's, he's got some amazing skill and his stats are really backing it up. So I think that DePoto could have really signed Weeders on. Um, and I think that that was kind of a miss. Um, but as I said, it's a little bit personal for me just because um, Baltimore has kind of been uh, a childhood favorite team of mine. So what do you guys think about uh, Depoto not going after Weeders? Do you think he was too pricey? Because I think he was he was looking for over ten to twelve million a year, I think. And uh, do you think that would have been a good move, or do you feel that you know he's he's right to just stick with uh, Zanino for now? I think he's fine sticking with Zanino. I think he would have been too pricey at this point. I think Depoto was really just trying to uh, make trades and not have to spend really any money over this offseason. Weeders is good. He has good numbers. I've never had anything against him, but I just think it would have been unnecessary at this point. He's also, uh, I think that kind of sent the signal because Weeders did fall and he was a late sign. Um, But I think it kind of sends a signal because the one thing I know about Matt Weeders is that he doesn't rate well as a pitch framer. And he's only, he's average or to below average at blocking pitches. He's got an amazing arm or he did. Um, but uh, I think that says a lot that DePoto really wants that catcher position to be really solid defensively, and then he'll take what he can get uh, offensively. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't have been upset if they did it, but uh, I just I think that Weeders just wasn't going to be a fit here in Seattle. Yeah, it would have been, been nice to see. I don't know. I, I just, I've always loved this game. But uh, those are our questions for this week. Uh, I do want to just make a note that um, after I uh, trashed Vancouver's pizza, uh, I did want to mention that there were two pizza places that are actually very good in Vancouver. They actually happen to be from New York. Um, That's not a biased thing. It's just that even if you look at the ratings, the two of the best pizzas are straight out of Brooklyn, and that's New York pizza. So if you ever come to Vancouver, that's where you go. Good to know. 
And don't order it with pineapple. Hell no. <laughs> so that is uh, the end of our question segment. Always, uh, if you have your questions or anything that's baseball, entertainment, whatever you want us to discuss, you, as I said, you contact us on uh, Facebook at Soto Mojo FS and also at Twitter at Soto Mojo FS. Um, we love to hear what you guys have to say and what you guys are thinking about this year's club. Uh, other than that, if you guys have uh, final thoughts, uh, what you're looking forward to this week, anything that Mariners fans should be aware of, um, that's it. So you guys have any final thoughts? Um, this week I'm looking to see if the pitching can progress any further. They've kind of fallen off a little bit. Um, I think it's just a case of getting back into the action. You know, hitters can get back into it quicker than pitchers can. So I think they're just kind of playing catch up, with, which is natural, but I'd like to see some progression. Yeah, it's all about the arms for me. Um, you know, I I like what I've seen from Modern and O'Malley, but quite frankly, I'm ready to watch Robinson Cano and Gene Segura again. So, uh, you know, that's a, I'm going to be watching the middle infield, the utility uh, utility infield battle a little bit, but mostly I'm watching for the arms. I hope to see Andrew Moore pitch once or twice. Um, you know, I want to see some of the, some of the bullpen guys who are fighting for a spot. I like to see them, and then. Uh, you know, really, Mitch Hanniger and Daniel Vogel back. Those are kind of the guys I'm watching right now in spring training. There's been a couple of plays from from Vogelbach uh, in spring ball where he's uh, he's been really good with the glove. Uh, he's definitely I've seen him make a couple of uh, really key scoop plays in the uh, out of the dirt. So uh, he's showing a lot of agility, especially for his size. So that's good to see early on. Yeah, he can pick it. I'm surprised. I didn't really look for any defensive abilities from him when he was coming in. I didn't really look at any of that, just like his offensive numbers, but that's good to see. Yeah, he has to be at least passable defensively. Um, he's got to be better than Deho Lee and Adam Lind, which isn't going to be all that hard, but he has to be if he wants to make the big club. It's the only way they'll carry two first basemen. Well, thanks for joining, guys. Uh, as a programming note, uh, I, I or Riley won't be around, so Colby will be your host for next week, and he'll have a couple of new people joining us. So look forward to the next Soto Mojo podcast that will go up next week. Um, that's everything, so we're signing off, and until next week, guys, have a good one.